I am no ultrasound tech, but when they put the probe on her chest, you could see something flapping around in her heart. There was something attached to her mitral valve and it looked like it was dancing or like a flag flapping in the wind. So I made eye contact with ultrasound tech and I looked with really big eyes trying to communicate with my eyebrows. What the heck is that? And she looked back at me and said, I'm going to go ahead and call the cardiologist. Hey there, I'm your host, Sarah Lorenzini, a rapid response nurse and educator who loves telling stories to teach critical thinking. This podcast is for nurses who want the knowledge, skills, and confidence to respond to any emergency. With almost 20 years of experience in the ER and critical care nursing and a master's degree in nursing education, I have a lot of stories to share, and I love to nerd out and break down the pathophysiology, pharmacology, and nurses' role in emergencies. Stories bring learning to life. It is way easier to learn from and remember the stories that my colleagues and mentors have told me than anything I've read in a textbook. And that is why I made this podcast. Every episode is packed full of exactly what you need to know to handle whatever crisis that could arise on your shift. It's one thing to get the right answer on the test, but knowing how to detect when your patient is declining and what to do when your patient is crashing is what will make or break your day and might just save your patient's life. Today's episode will be part one of a two-part series on infective endocarditis. I'm going to share with you a really interesting case and then provide a basic introduction to the pathophys of endocarditis. In part two, we're going to deep dive into the signs and symptoms and the many types of infective endocarditis, the pathophysiology, how the diagnosis is made, what the treatment is, and what the nurse's role is in caring for this patient population. So. Without further ado, let's talk about this case with Cora Carditis. So I get a call from a nurse who I respect a lot. His name is Clayton. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, he's actually been on my show before in episode 20. It's called COVID Conversations, Our Path Forward as Nurses. In that episode, I talk with Clayton about his experience as a new grad jumping right into the height of COVID. Clayton is a stellar nurse. So he works on the med surge floor and he called me and said, hey, Sarah, I don't have an emergency, but something's wrong with my patient. She's at Alice's patient. She's only 30 years old and her blood pressure dropped, which I know happens with Dallas's patients who are a little bit dry. So I've already called the doctor and I gave her albumin and midodrine and her blood pressure is better, but now she's having chest pain. So I got a stat EKG and it's normal, but the hospitalist consulted cardiology because her troponin's a little bit elevated. She's got no cardiac history. She doesn't seem anxious. I just don't think we've quite put our finger on what's wrong with her yet. So I said, Clayton, it sounds like you're doing all the right things, but I'll gladly come look at her. So I trust Clayton's intuition because he has caught so many patients who are declining before it got really bad. So I head over to Clayton's floor to see his patient. Like I said, for the sake of her privacy, we're going to call her Cora, Cora Carditis. So I enter Cora's room and she's sitting straight up in the bed, kind of grimacing. I introduced myself. Hi, Cora. I'm Sarah, the rapid response nurse. Your nurse Clayton asked me to come see you because he's concerned about your chest pain you're having and the drop of blood pressure. Your blood pressure seems better now, but how's your chest pain? She says her chest is still hurting her, but not stabbing, just kind of pressure. She's laying very still, almost stoic in the bed with her eyes closed, only opening them when spoken to. She's breathing a little bit on the fast side, like 25, 28 breaths a minute. 
Her skin is warm and dry. It's actually almost feels a little bit feverish. And she says, I just can't catch my breath. And now this chest pain. So I asked her, has this ever happened before? She said, no. They think I'm septic from my dialysis catheter, but I've been on dialysis for about three years now with no issues from this thing. But I don't feel right. I hope y'all can figure this out. I said, me too, Cora. We all want you to get feeling better and back to your family. Can I listen to your heart and lungs? She kind of nodded. So I listened to her heart and it sounds like she's got a murmur. So I asked her, have you ever been told that you have a murmur before? She said, no, but I've got a lot of health problems. So maybe they told me and I just forgot. I said, okay, well, let me talk with Clayton a little bit and look at your chart and we'll figure out what needs to happen next. So Clayton pulls up the trend of her vital signs to show me where she had dipped into the 70s systolic. Currently, her blood pressure is 90 over 50 after the albumin bolus. Clayton reiterates, I know her EKG is fine and she looks stable now, Sarah, but I mean, what do you think? Anything else we should be doing for her? Anything else that we should be investigating? I, something's wrong. So I go look in the chart. I see the cardiology consult. I see the elevated troponin. Her white count is also elevated. Obviously, her BUN and carotenin are chronically elevated. Her electrolytes are good. Everything else is actually okay. While I'm in the patient's room, cardiology actually came by to see her. And he was kind of like, so why do we get consulted for this patient? I explained, well, she does have an elevated troponin and she's currently having chest pain. He was like, okay, a lot of Dallas's patients have elevated troponins. Did we get an EKG? Sure did. So I grabbed it from the chart and show him her normal EKG. So cardiology was kind of not impressed and didn't do too much else besides order serial troponins and EKG. I asked how he would feel about doing an echo since she had shortness of breath and this murmur. So he agreed. So I started thinking, what could be wrong with her? I mean, she has no reason to be short of breath right now. She doesn't have any respiratory diagnosis or respiratory history. She's having this chest pain. So at this point, I was like, uh, I don't know what to do with her from here. I mean, we've already consulted the specialist. They're doing the appropriate workup for sepsis and trending her troponins and EKGs. But then her blood pressure drops again. Now it's 80s over 50s. So at this point, I decided I'm going to go ahead and call rapid response myself. Even though I'm the rapid response nurse, I'm not the provider. And I needed someone who could order stuff and help me figure out what's going on with her and to treat this blood pressure. So at my hospital, calling rapid response is an automatic critical care consult, and we'll get the critical care provider to the bedside. And maybe they have some other ideas. Additionally, I wanted to get an echo expedited because of this murmur. And I was curious, like, what else could be going on? So I called the rapid response. The ICU nurse practitioner comes, and I explained to her my concerns. Her blood pressure is dropping again, even after the albumin bolus. She's tachypnic. She's having chest pain with elevated troponin. She said, did we get an echo? Well, the cardiologist said that he would order it. So she went ahead and put the order in herself, and I called the stat echo line to get it expedited. She agreed that this patient needed closer monitoring with all the new symptoms and the drop in blood pressure. Though the patient was still awake and alert and calm, we gave a small bolus and got her blood pressure bumped up a little bit and upgraded her to the progressive care unit for closer monitoring. So we get to the progressive care unit, and the ultrasonographer meets us over there to do that stat echo. Now, I am no ultrasound tech, but when they put the probe on her chest, you could see something flapping around in her heart. There was something attached to her mitral valve, and it looked like it was dancing or like a flag flapping in the wind. So I made eye contact with the ultrasound tech. 
And I looked with really big eyes, trying to communicate with my eyebrows. What the heck is that? And she looked back at me and said, I'm going to go ahead and call the cardiologist. So she stepped out of the room. I overhear her calling and she tells the doctor that the patient has some sort of mobile clot or vegetation or something on her mitral valve. After that, the cardiologist read the full images and called the ICU physician. And the ICU physician called me and said, we need to move this patient to the ICU. So yeah, Clayton was spot on. We didn't have all the diagnostics yet to prove it, but something was wrong with his patient. Strong work, my friend. So now let's talk about infective endocarditis. Endocarditis, by definition, is an infection of the endocardial surface of the heart. It usually refers to an infection of one or more of the heart valves, but it could also just be an infection of the myocardial tissue, like an abscess. So the symptoms associated with endocarditis almost always involve fever, but sometimes hypothermia can be an indicator. But the rest of the symptoms depend on where the infection is located or if septic emboli have broken off and traveled somewhere. Its destination will determine the type of secondary symptoms that you might see. Endocarditis is also often associated with persons who inject drugs, but there are a lot of other patient populations who develop endocarditis. So people with any valvular issue, like a congenital heart defect or pre-existing, say, mitral valve prolapse, rheumatic heart disease, prosthetic valves, people with devices like AICDs or pacemakers or central lines like a dialysis catheter. Even things like dental work or urogenitary procedures like renal stents can introduce bacteria into the system that cause endocarditis. And of course, people with a weakened immune system are at high risk for endocarditis because their body can't clear the pathogen in the system the way most people would. So patients who have like AIDS or those who are undergoing chemotherapy or those who are on immunosuppression uh, medications like post-transplant are at high risk and have to be extra cautious. So a lot of people are diagnosed with endocarditis who have never injected drugs into themselves. And once the diagnosis of endocarditis is made, the work is not done. Now we have to think about septic emboli and all the places these septic goobers could break off and travel to. So in part two of this endocarditis episode, we're going to dive a little deeper into what's going on inside the heart and the cascade of things that leads to bacterial or fungal growth inside the heart muscle. I'll also go into all the different presentations from heart failure to stroke to pulmonary embolism and talk about all the different diagnostic criteria for endocarditis. And most importantly, what's the nurse's role in all of this? So I actually learned a lot doing my research for this episode. There is so much more to unpack. So if you want to find out what I didn't know before this week and really get a thorough understanding of infective endocarditis, then don't miss next week's episode of the Rapid Response RN podcast.